Chapter 9 of The Secret Tomb by Maurice LeBlanc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Face to Face. If they seize me, she thought, if it's this Richard's intention to kidnap me without more ado, there's nothing to be done. Before I could be rescued, they would carry me off to their underground lair, and from there I don't know where. And why should it be otherwise? Master of the metal and of Dorothy, the ruffian had only to fly. On the instant she saw all the faults of her plan. In order to compel Destreacher to risk a sortie that she might capture him during that sortie, she had invented a too subtle ruse, which actual developments of fortune's spite might turn to her undoing. A conflict which turns on the number of seconds gained or lost is extremely doubtful, she went quickly into the house and pushed the disc under a heap of discarded things in a small lumber-room. The necessary hunt for it would delay for a while the enemy's flight. But when she came back to go out of the house, Deschreacher, grimacing ironically behind his spectacles and under his thick beard, stood on the threshold of the front door. Dorothy never carried a revolver. All her life she never cared to trust to anything but her courage and intelligence. She regretted it at this horrible moment when she found herself face to face with the man who had murdered her father. Her first act would have been to blow out his brains. Divining her vengeful thought, he seized her arm quickly and twisted it, as he had twisted the arm of old Julietta Sire. Then, bending over her, he snapped, "'Where have you put it? Be quick!' She did not even dream of resisting, so acute was the pain— and took him to the little room, and pointed to the heap. He found the disc at once, weighed it in his hand, examining it with an air of immense satisfaction, and said, "'That's all right. Victory at last. Twenty years of struggle come to an end, and over and above what I bargained for. You, Dorothy, the most magnificent and desirable of rewards.' He ran his hand over her frock to make sure that she was not armed, then seized her round the body, and with a strength which no one would have believed him to possess, swung her over his shoulder onto his back. "'You make me feel uneasy, Dorothy,' he chuckled. "'What? No resistance. What pretty behavior, my dear. There must be something in the way of a trap under it all, so I'll be off.' Outside she caught sight of the two men, who were on guard at the big gate. One of them was the confederate she knew, from having seen him at Julietta Sire's cottage. The other, his face flattened against the bars of a small wicket, was watching the road. Destreacher called to them, "'Keep your eyes skinned, boys. You mustn't be caught in the sheepfold. And when I whistle, bucket off back to the hillocks.' He himself made for them with long strides without weakening under his burden, she could smell the odor of a damp cellar with which his subterranean lair had impregnated his garments. He held her by the neck with a hard hand that bruised it. They came to the wooden bridge and were just about to cross it. No more than a hundred yards from it, perhaps, among the bushes and rocks, was one of the entrances to his underground lair. Already the man was raising his whistle to his lips. With a deft movement, Dorothy snatched the disc which was sticking up above the top of the pocket into which he had stuffed it, and threw it towards the pool. It ran along the ground, rolled down the bank, 
and disappeared under the water. "'You little devil!' growled the ruffian, throwing her roughly to the ground. "'Stir, and I'll break your head!' He went down the bank and floundered about in the viscid mud of the river, keeping an eye on Dorothy and cursing her. She did not dream of flying. She kept looking from one to another of the points at the top of the wall above which she expected the heads of the farm servants or the detectives to rise. It was certainly five or six minutes past the hour, yet none of them appeared. Nevertheless, she did not lose hope. She expected Districher, who had evidently lost his head, to make some mistake of which she could take advantage. "'Yes, yes,' he snarled. "'You wish to gain time, my dear?' And suppose you do. Do you think I'll let go of you? I've got you both. You and the medal, and your bumpkin of a rowel isn't the man to loosen my grip. Besides, if he does come, it'll be all the worse for him. My men have their orders. A good crack on the head. He was still searching. He stopped short, uttered a cry of triumph, and stood upright, the disc in his hand. Here it is, ducky. "'Certainly the luck is with me, and you've lost. "'On we go, Cousin Dorothy.' "'Dorothy cast a last look along the walls. "'No one. "'Instinctively, at the approach of the man she hated, "'she made as if to thrust him off. "'It made him laugh, so absurd did any resistance seem. "'Violently he beat down her outstretched arms "'and again swung her onto his shoulder "'with a movement in which there was as much hate as desire.' Say goodbye to your sweetheart, Dorothy, for the good Rowell is in love with you. Say goodbye to him. If ever you see him again, it will be too late. He crossed the bridge and strode in among the hillocks. It was all over. In another thirty seconds, even if he were attacked, no longer being in sight of the points on the wall at which the men armed with guns were to rise up, he would have time to reach the mouth of the entrance to his lair. Dorothy had lost the battle. Raoul and the detectives would arrive too late. You don't know how nice it is to have you there, all quivering, and to carry you away with me, against me, without your being able to escape the inevitable, whispered Destricher. But what's the matter with you? Are you crying? You mustn't, my dear. After all, why should you? You would certainly let yourself be lulled one of these days on the bosom of the handsome Rowl. Then there's no reason why I should be more distasteful to you than he, is there? But, hang it! he cried angrily. Haven't you done sobbing yet? He turned her on his shoulder and caught hold of her head. He was dumbfounded. Dorothy was laughing. What? What's this? What are you laughing at? Is it p, p possible that you dare to laugh? What on earth do you mean by it? This laughter frightened him as the threat of danger? The slut. What was she laughing at? A sudden fury rose in him, and setting her down clumsily against a tree, he struck her with his clenched fist, out of which a ring stuck on the forehead among her hair with such force that the blood spurted out. She was still laughing as she stammered, You b -b brute What a brute you are! If you laugh, I'll bite your mouth, you hussy! 
he snarled, bending over her red lips. He did not dare to carry out the threat, respecting her in spite of himself, and even a little intimidated. She was frightened, however, and laughed no more. "'What is this? What is it?' he repeated. "'You should be crying, and you're laughing. Why?' "'I was laughing because of the plates,' she said. "'What plates?' "'Those which form the case of the metal.' "'These?' "'Yes.' "'What about them?' "'They're the plates of Dorothy's circus. I used to juggle with them.' He looked utterly flabbergasted. "'What's this rot you're talking?' "'It's rot, isn't it? St. Quentin and I soldiered them together. I engraved the motto on them with a knife, and last night we threw them into the pool.' "'But you're mad. I don't understand. With what object did you do it?' Since poor old Julietta Sire babbled some admissions about the river when you tortured her, I was pretty sure you'd fall into the trap. What do you mean? What trap? I wanted to get you to come out of here. You knew that I was here then? Rather. I knew that you were watching us fish up the case, and I knew for certain what would happen after that. Believing that this case, found at the bottom of the pool under your very eyes, contained the metal and seeing, moreover, that Raoul had gone and I was alone at the manor, you wouldn't be able to come. But you have come. He stuttered. The g -g gold medal? It isn't in this case, then? No, it's empty. And Raoul? Raoul? You're expecting him? Yes. Alone? With some detectives. He went to meet them. He clenched his fists and growled. You little beast, you denounced me. I denounced you. Not for a second did Destriture think she might be lying. He held the metal disc in his hand, and it would have been easy enough to force it open with his knife. To what end? The disc was empty. He was sure of it. Of a sudden he grasped the full force of the comedy she had played on the pool and explained to him the odd uneasiness and disquiet he had felt when he was watching that series of actions, the connection of which seemed to him strange. However, he had come. He had plunged blindly, with his head down, into the trap she had audaciously laid for him before his very eyes. Of what miraculous power was she mistress? And how was he going to slip through the meshes of the net which was being drawn tighter and tighter round him? "'Let's be getting away,' he said eager to get out of danger. But he was suffering from a lassitude of will, and instead of picking up his victim, he questioned her. The disc is empty. But do you know where the metal is? He questioned. Of course I know, said Dorothy, who only thought of gaining time and whose furtive eyes were scanning the top of the wall. The man's eyes sparkled. Ah, you do, do you? You must be a fool to admit it. Since you know, you're going to tell, my dear. If not... He drew his revolver. She said mockingly, Just as with Julietta Sire. Twenty's what you count, isn't it? You may as well save your breath. It doesn't work with me. I swear, damn it. Words. No, the battle was certainly not lost. Dorothy, though exhausted, her face smeared with blood, clung to every possible incident with grim tenacity. She felt strongly that, 
In his fury, Distrature was capable of killing her. But she was quite as clearly aware of his confusion of ideas and of her power over him. He hadn't the strength to depart and abandon the metal for which he had struggled so desperately. If only his hesitation lasted a few minutes longer, Raoul was bound to appear on the scene. At this moment an incident occurred which appeared to excite her keenest interest, for she leant forward to follow it more closely. The old baron came out of the manor, carrying a bag, not dressed as usual in a blouse, but in a cloth suit and wearing a felt hat. That showed that he had made a choice, that is to say, an effort of thought. Then there was another such effort. Goliath was not with him. He waited for him, stamped his foot, and when the dog did come, caught him by the collar, looked about him, and took his way to the gate. The two confederates barred his path. He muttered some grumbling complaints and tried to get past them. They shoved him back, and at last he went off among the trees, without losing Goliath, but leaving his bag behind him. His action was easy to understand and Dorothy and Destrature alike grasped the fact that the old fellow had wanted to go off on the quest of the treasure. In spite of his madness, he had not forgotten the enterprise. The appointed date was engraved on his memory, and on the day he had fixed, he strapped up his bag and started out like a piece of mechanism which one has wound up and which goes off at the moment fixed. Destrature called out to his confederates, "'Search his bag!' Since they found nothing, no metal, no clue, he walked up and down in front of Dorothy for a moment, undecided what course to take, and then stopped beside her. Answer me. Rao loves you. You don't love him. Otherwise I should have put a stop to your little flirtation a fortnight ago. But all the same you feel some obligations towards him in the matter of the metal and the treasure, and you've joined forces. It's just foolishness, my dear and I'm going to set your mind at rest about the matter, for there's a thing you don't know, and I'm going to tell it you, after which I'm sure you'll speak. Answer me, then. With regard to this medal, you must be wondering how I come to be hunting for it, since, as you very well know, I stole it from your father. What do you suppose? I suppose somebody took it from you. You're right, but do you know who it was? No. Raoul's father, George Davonet. She started and exclaimed, You lie! I do not, he declared firmly. You remember your father's last letter which Cousin Octave read to us at Robberet? The Prince of Argonne related how he heard two men talking under his window and saw a hand slip through it towards the table and sneak the medal. Well... The man who had accompanied the other on the expedition and was waiting below was George Davernay, and that rogue Dorothy, the very next night, robbed his comrade. Dorothy was shaking with indignation and abhorrence. It's a lie! Ralph's father to take such a trade? A thief? Worse than that, for the enterprise had not only robbery for its aim. And if the man who poured the poison into the glass and whose tattooed arm was seen by the Prince of Argonne does not deny his acts, he doesn't forget that the poison was provided by the other. You lie! You lie! You alone are the culprit! You alone murdered my father! You don't really believe that. And look, 
here's a letter from him to the old baron to his father that is i found it among the baron's papers read it i have at last laid my hand on the indispensable gold piece on my next leave i'll bring it to you and look at the date a week after the death of the prince of argon do you believe me now eh and don't you think that we might come to an understanding between ourselves apart from this milksop row this revelation had tried dorothy sorely however she pulled herself together and putting a good face on it she asked what do you mean i mean that the gold medal brought to the baron entrusted by him to his old flame for a while then hidden i don't know where belongs to you Raoul has no right to it i'll buy it from you at what price any price you like half the treasure if you demand it dorothy saw in the instant how she could make the most of the situation here again was a way of gaining some minutes decisive minutes perhaps a painful and costly way since she risked handing over to him the key to the treasure but dare she hesitate destreacher was nearly at the end of his patience he was beside himself at the notion of the imminent attack with which he was threatened let him get carried away by an access of panic and all would be lost by his taking flight a partnership between us never a sharing of the treasure which would make me your ally a thousand times no i detest you would an agreement for a few moments perhaps your conditions he said be quick make the most of my allowing you to impose conditions that won't take long you have a double object the metal and me you must choose between them which do you want most the metal if you let me go free i'll give it to you swear to me on your honor that you know where it is i swear it how long have you known for about five minutes a little while ago i did not know a little fact has just come under my observation which has informed me he believed her it was impossible for him to disbelieve her everything that she said in that fashion looking you straight in the face was the exact truth speak it's for you to speak first swear that as soon as my promise is fulfilled i shall be free the ruffian blinked the idea of keeping an oath appeared comic to him and dorothy was quite aware that his oath had no value of any kind i swear it he said then he repeated speak i can't quite make out what you are faking but it doesn't strike me as being gospel truth so i don't put much faith in it and don't you forget it the conflict between them was now at its height and what gave that conflict its peculiar character was that both of them saw clearly the adversary's game dorothy had no doubt that raoul after an unforeseen delay was on his way to the manor and destreacher who had no more doubt of it than she knew that all her actions were based on her expectation of immediate intervention but there was one trifling fact which rendered their chances of victory equal Distreacher believed himself to be in perfect security because his two confederates, glued to the wicket, were watching the road for the coming of the car, while the young girl had taken the admirable precaution of instructing Rao to abandon the car and take the paths which were out of sight of the gate. All her hopes sprang from this precaution. She made her explanation quietly, 
all the while bearing in mind her keen desire to drag out the interview. "'I've never ceased to believe,' she said, "'and I'm sure that you are of the same opinion that the Baron has never, so to speak, quitted the medal.' "'I hunted everywhere,' Destricher objected. "'So did I. But I don't mean that he kept it on him. I meant that he kept it and still keeps it within reach.' "'You do?' "'Yes. He has always managed in such a way that he has only to stretch out his hand to grasp it.' "'Impossible. We should have seen it.' "'Not at all. Only just now you failed to see anything.' "'Just now?' "'Yes. When he was going off, compelled by the bidding of his instinct, when he was going off on the very day he had fixed before he fell ill, he was going off without the medal.' with the metal. They searched his bag. The bag wasn't the only thing he was taking with him. What else was there? Hang it all, you were more than a hundred yards away from him. You saw nothing. I saw that he was holding something besides his bag. What? Goliath. Destricher was silent, struck by that simple word and all it signified. Goliath, Dorothy went on. Goliath, who never quitted him, Goliath always within reach of his hand, and whom he was holding, whom he is holding at this moment. Look at him. His five fingers are clenched round the dog's collar. Do you understand? Round its collar. Once more, Districher had no doubt. Dorothy's declaration immediately appeared to him to meet all the circumstances of the case. Once more she threw light on the affair. Beyond that light... Nothing but darkness and contradictions. He recovered all his coolness. His will to act instantly revived, and at the same time he saw clearly all the precautions to be taken to minimize the risks of the attempt. He drew from his pocket a thin piece of rope with which he bound Dorothy, and a handkerchief which he tied across her mouth. If you've made a mistake, darling, all the worse for you. You'll pay for it. And he added in a sarcastic tone, Moreover, if you haven't made a mistake, all the worse for you just the same. I'm not the man to lose my prey. He hailed his confederates. Hi, boys, is there anyone on the road? Not a soul. Keep your eyes open, we'll be off in three minutes. When I whistle, bucket off to the entrance to the caves. I'll bring the young woman along. The threat, terrible as it was, did not affect Dorothy. For her, the whole drama was unfolding itself down below, between Destricher and the Baron. Destricher ran down from the hillocks, crossed the bridge, and ran towards the old man who was sitting on a bench on the terrace, with Goliath's head on his knee. Dorothy felt her heart beating wildly. Not that she doubted that he would find the medal. It would be found in the dog's collar. Of that she was sure. But it must be that the supreme effort to snatch a last delay could not fail. If the barrel of a gun doesn't appear above the top of the wall before a minute is up, Destricture is my master. And since she would rather kill herself than submit to that degradation, during that minute her life was at stake. The respite accorded by circumstances was longer than that. Destricture, having flung himself on the dog, met with an unexpected resistance from the baron. The old man thrust him off furiously while the dog barked and dragged himself free from the ruffian's grip. The struggle was prolonged. Dorothy followed its phases with alternating fear and hope, 
backing up Rao's grandfather with all the force of her will, cursing the energy and stubbornness of the ruffian. In the end, the old baron grew tired and appeared all at once to lose interest in what might happen. One might have thought that Goliath must have suddenly fallen a victim to the same sense of lassitude. He sat down at his master's feet and let himself be handled with a kind of indifference. With trembling fingers, Destrature caught hold of the collar and ran his fingers along the nail-studded leather under the dog's thick coat. His fingers found the buckle. But he got no further. The dramatic surprise came at last. A man's bust rose above the wall, and a voice cried, Hands up! At last Dorothy smiled with an indescribable sensation of joy and deliverance. Her plan, delayed by some obstacle, was a success. Near St. Quentin, who had been the first to appear, another figure rose above the wall, leveled a gun, and cried, Hands up! Instantly Destriture abandoned his search and looked about him with an air of panic. Two other shouts rang out, Hands up! Hands up! From the point chosen by the young girl, two more guns were leveled at him, and the men who aimed, aimed straight at Destriture only. Nevertheless, he hesitated. A bullet sang over his head. His hands went up. His confederates were already halfway to the hillocks in their flight. No one paid any attention to them. They ran across the bridge and disappeared in the direction of an isolated hillock which was called the labyrinth. The big gate flew open. Raoul rushed through it, followed by two men whom Dorothy did not know, but who must be the detectives dispatched on his information. Destrichard did not budge. He kept his hands up and doubtless he would not have made any resistance if a false move of the police had not given him the chance. As they reached him, they closed round him, covering him for two or three seconds from the fire of the servants on the wall. He took advantage of their error to whip out his revolver and shoot. Four times it cracked. Three bullets went wide. The fourth buried itself in Rao's leg, and he fell to the ground with a groan. It was a futile outburst of rage and savagery. On the instant the detectives grappled with Destriture, disarmed him, and reduced him to impotence. They handcuffed him, and as they did so his eyes sought Dorothy, who was almost out of sight, for she had slipped behind a clump of bushes, and as they sought her they filled with an expression of appalling hate. It was St. Quentin, followed by the captain, who found Dorothy, and at the sight of her blood-smeared face they were nearly beside themselves. Silence, she commanded, to cut short their questions. Yes, I'm wounded, but it's a mere nothing. Run to the baron, captain, catch hold of Goliath, pat him, and take off his collar. In the collar you will find behind the metal plate, on which his name is engraved, a pocket forming a lining to it and containing the metal we're looking for. Bring it to me. The boy hurried off. St. Quentin, Dorothy continued, have the detective seen me? No. You must give everyone to understand that I left the manor some time ago and that you're to meet me at the market town, Roche sur Yon. I don't want to be mixed up with the inquiry. They'll examine me, and it will be a sheer waste of time. But Monsieur Davonet, as soon as you get the chance, tell him. Tell him that I've gone for reasons which I will explain later, and that I beg him to keep silent about everything that concerns us. Besides, he is wounded and his mind is confused, and nobody will think about me. They're going to hunt through the hillocks, I expect, to get hold of Districher's confederates. They mustn't see me. Cover me with branches. 
"'That's all right,' she said when he had done so. "'As soon as it is getting dark, come, all four of you, and carry me down to the caravan, and we'll start as soon as it's daylight. Perhaps I shall be out of sorts for a few days. Rather too much overwork and excitement. Nothing for you to worry about. Do you understand, my boy?' "'Yes, Dorothy.' As she had foreseen, the two detectives, having shut up Destritur at the manor, passed at no great distance from her, guided by one of the farm servants. She presently heard them calling out and guessed that they had discovered the entrance to the caves of the labyrinth, down which Destritur's confederates had fled. "'Pursuit is useless,' murmured Dorothy. "'The quarry has too long a start.' She felt exhausted but for nothing in the world would she have yielded to her lassitude before the return of the captain. She asked St. Quentin how the attack had come to be so long delayed. An accident, wasn't it? Yes, said he. The detectives made a mistake about the inn, and the farm servants were late getting back from the fate. It was necessary to collect the whole lot, and the car broke down. Montfalcon came running up. Dorothy went on. Perhaps, St. Quentin, there'll be the name of a town, or rather of a chateau, on the metal. In that case, find out all you can about the route and take the caravan there. Did you find it, Captain? Yes, Mummy. Give it to me, pet. What emotion Dorothy felt when she touched the gold medal so keenly coveted by them all, which one might reckon the most precious of talismans, as the guarantee even of success. It was a medal twice the size of a five-franc piece, and above all much thicker, less smoothly cut than a modern medal, less delicately modelled, and of duller gold that did not shine. On the face was the motto, and robbery fortuna, on the reverse these lines, July 12th, 1921, at noon, before the clock of the Chateau of Roche-Periac. The 12th of July muttered Dorothy. I have time to faint. She fainted. End of chapter 9